and welcome to the Trash Tapes podcast as part of the Enigmatic Productions Network. If you love bad cinema and incredible deep dives into cult film, then you have come to the right place. So if you like what you hear and want to support us, you can do so by donating some funds to our Buy Me A Coffee website, along with the ACAR supporter feature. All of these can be found in the description below. And now, on with the show. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's weird because I, I was looking a little bit online myself and there isn't much like online in, t- in terms of just about the pilot. It's mainly there's, there's stuff about the TV series in general, but mm-hmm. there's no, mo- no, there's not a lot of trivia and stuff about the pilot in movies. Well, um, well, this is the thing. You have to go deep into the dark web in order to find some of this stuff. Yeah. It's hardcore. I had to, I had to go into like, forums and the dreaded reddit to find out information about yeah. this particularly unique cut so yeah i basically do feel like i'm part of a spy espionage movie now because i had to go in i was hacking throughout the night just type it away beautiful <laughs> oh it was it was it was exhausting <laughs> it was exhausting going like why is this not so readily available to me what are you trying to hide from me airwolf uh <laughs> Secrets. It's actually a real thing. They didn't yeah. want anyone to know. Yeah, basically that that was a documentary, and, <laughs> and it got leaked. Go oh, bugger! Now we have to make it feel like a movie. Okay, yeah, that's exactly what happened. You are about to experience trash. And welcome to another episode of the Trash Tapes. One man's trash is another man's treasure. I'm Johan Chapal, the inflictor of pain, and I am joined by, as usual, by my victim and DJ Edwin Harvey. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing all right. From well, we well let me explain something to all the listeners out there. We had a very unique evening last night. As uh, we on a Discord, on our Discord, we do have a Discord now. Surprise! Uh, we did our very first watch along party of the movie we were about to review today. Yeah, what, what a way to start, Airwolf the movie. <laughs> I know we're starting off with a banger, but this, there's a reason why we did that one. We didn't just pick it out of thin air because. I have a long list. The list has now grown to about 300, by the way. Every day I'm adding more movies. So you know that list I gave you about a week ago? It's out of date. <laughs> My it's, it's like becoming an encyclopedia of bad it movies, is. that list. It's really special. But the reason why we picked this one out is because we have a very special guest today, don't we? Yeah, we certainly do. And this guest, would you like to 
come out, come come into our crypt, as it were, and t- and introduce introduce yourself to all our well, listeners. I'm very honoured to be amongst such gothic gentlemen. Uh, my name's George. You may know me from the uh, above average video game podcast called the Unofficial Controller Podcast. I'll probably sell it a little short, to be fair. The Unofficial <laughs> Controller Podcast. And every week, we at the end, uh, we have a guy come round. It brings us the new releases called Stingray. And we always pick out a, a cheesy 80s film, normally. Mm-hmm. And I uh, picked out Airwolf. Now, at night, I... I go to bed and I put a film on, just put it, put the TV on sleep mode because, you know, it's, it's very 80s of me and I live in a, a, an 80s time capsule. Yeah. And Airwolf, the movie, which is the pilot to the series, was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. So I, I went into like a 15-minute a sort of rant about what I'd seen <laughs> and it peaked... Uh, Sir Harvey's interest so much that he was like, we've got to do this on the trash tapes and we mm-hmm. would we would like you to come on and probably share the pain, I would say, between all three of us. Because the pain shared is a pain, well, I'd say halved. I don't know third it, isn't it? I mean, I'm not here for the maths, obviously. I mean, I don't know what I'm here for, but normally imagine <laughs> to, to talk about Airwolf the movie. A very interesting... I, I wondered if I'd... I woke up the next day when I fell asleep and thought, was that a fever dream? Was that actually a fever dream? So I watched it again, and everything that I thought I'd dreamt was real. Yeah. Uh, it was a very strange experience. I've watched it three times now, but I don't want to rock the boat here, guys, but like a fine wine, it's starting to mature. You know, the first time you take, taste an olive, it's not very nice. 20 olives in, you're like, I can't get enough of these Italian little suckers. So maybe I'm... I'm on the outer limb of acceptability for the trash tapes because I feel like Airwolf deserves a retrospective Oscar. Well, let's have it. Well, well, that's what we're going to now investigate today when we actually look at a very unique and very special and actually surprisingly rare cut. It is the UK 18 edition version of Airwolf the movie. We're being radar scanned. Gabriel. Don't get interested in Stringfellow Hawk. There's no future in it for you. Hey! What the hell is it? It's a TU-36 Dodger. You see those air missiles? We've got 48 hours to recover Airwolf where they're sending in the Marines. Weapons panels, right rear, set! Six seconds after ignition, Airwolf can exceed Mach 1 from sea level to 65,000 feet. Holy! Launching missiles. I have four incoming radar controlled missiles. Rotary engaging. Missile impact in three seconds. Airwolf. The most deadly war machine ever invented. In the hands of the most dangerous man on earth. I want her. An American destroyer. He's got Airwolf. For God's sakes, Moffat, they're Americans. He's got to get it back. You're the only man besides Moffat who's flown Airwolf. You're the only one who has a chance to get it back. And you are in the cockpit of the fastest, most furious action you'll ever see. 
machine that will rip your senses to pieces. Airwolf. So... My goodness. Right. Let's break this down then, shall we? So obviously we've now realized that what reason why we're doing is because George had a fever dream one day and said, can you please confirm that this is actually a real thing? <laughs> so that's what we're going to look into. But I want to ask, was anyone before all this or anything else, was anyone already a fan of the TV show Airwolf anyway? When I was, um, a young, my uh, granddad was a World War II pilot and after the mm. war he carried on flying. And so always aviation things were always of a great interest to him and my uncle, his son. Mm. Uh, and uh, I remember that we, it used to be on quite a lot. I don't know why my uncle kind of gravitated towards it. And I remember one uh, every New Year's at the house where Tom and I grew up and all the rest of the family grew up. We always used to have a fancy dress. And I remember Ooh. my uncle making an airwolf fancy dress outfit. Jesus. He had the black overalls on. He had got a, a BMX helmet and sort of put on like a, a plant pot for the front section with all the wires. It was dead. I mean, to me, I was only like four or five, but to me, mm. it was like hyper-realistic. And that's kind of <laughs> always sort of keyed into my sort of soft spot for Airwolf. Uh, I don't know now when I watch it, I think, oh, this is brilliant. But as we saw yesterday in the watch along, some of the actual techno babble that they come out with is mm. some of it's rooted in fact which i it was only on the third time of watching when they were when they were attacking the uh, spoilers the u.s destroyer yeah and they picked up the destroyer off the back of its um radar signature that it outputted i was like oh actually that's uh i never noticed that before that's actually quite a realistic way of finding a destroyer in the sea well uh, you quite literally being like oh my god this this movie that i thought was rubbish has now got extra nuance in terms of how realistic subtle, it was subtle it's like a wafer thin ham individually you can't taste anything but as a whole that's one hell of a porky snack but you're thinking they're thinking that's a lot of ham slices you have to get in order to get something oh, tasty yeah, it's that it's that really obnoxious sort of yards of skin you get in the Tesco pack. It's it's not very nice to look at, but spread quite thinly in a ham sandwich with with a hell of a lot of salad cream, it almost tastes like salad cream. Yeah, yeah, that's that's about that. I think think from... Let's go back a little bit on that end. For me, I don't remember a lot of Airwolf. I think it's because I was... Maybe because I was more of a Knight Rider guy anyway. But um, I I only remember episodes in passing... Like, the, like, I remember there was a show called Airwolf, and I remember that they involved helicopters doing cool stuff. But I could not even, t- I couldn't even tell you re- in any detail anything of any episode other than just a banging theme tune and that it had a helicopter that did explosions. Nothing else. Yeah, for me, for me, it was definitely just the the theme and the fact that but I, I remembered the helicopter being uh, different. It's like in your head, in your childish brain, you think that it looks like an alien kind of helicopter, like it looks completely different to a regular helicopter. But it pretty much just looks like a regular helicopter. That's not the point of Elf, is it? It's the point that it's it's got all these extra stuff and this is, you know, it can go very fast and stuff like that. But it, the appearance of Elf, I thought, was very different in my mind. As a kid, was, remembering is, it, is this some kind of like you know the Nelson Mandela effect where you think, yeah, totally, Airwolf totally looks like this. Yeah, and what, then what did you um, think it looked like? Was it squarer? Yeah, 
You see Blue Thunder's square. All right. Yes. Okay. And a lot of people get that confused, which I'm going to explain in a moment then, actually. So let's break down to facts. Clearly, we all have different memories of Airwolf. Actually, doing the research, like I said, I had to go deep into the dark web in order to find this research. It's actually quite surprising how a lot of how the year 1984 was nicknamed, actually, the year of helicopters for television. Okay. Because yeah. you had... Because around this time, around this time, the TV series, just to break into a little bit of it, Air, Airwolf came out, as in the TV series started out by then. You had Blue Thunder, the TV series came out then, which only lasted for 11 episodes. And then Riptide as well also came out around this time, which was another cop show with a helicopter in it. So clearly this was the trend that you needed more helicopters in your action shows around 1984. Yeah, so, you say that, but I've... I've, I've- don't remember ever watching Riptide. Mm. Well, you see, R- Riptide did not do very well either. It's like right. Blue Thunder and Riptide did not do very well. Airwolf trumped it in the ratings, and so, and that was, and that was actually, according to a lot of people, according to research, that was a surprise. They were really backing Blue Thunder because there was the movie Blue Thunder that came out first that did. In 1983, that did surprisingly well, like really well for the time. And so this, so they thought, oh, a TV show based on that hit movie should be gangbusters. It should be great. Ugh, it didn't. It only lasted 11 episodes and went off the air and disappeared off the face of the earth ever since then. Although some still some passionate people, but I'm convinced most of them are thinking about the movie, not the 11 episode series. The Blue Thunder movie. I had that recorded off TV as a kid and I remember it was it was a little bit more mature in its delivery. Mm. It had like shades of RoboCop. I think I mean I'm going out on a limb here but you know I think that a lot of these films matured out of American um, men or young men that had been in Vietnam so there was a bit of a an appeal for the helicopter it was either mm. mercy from above or they were flying them and a lot of the TV producers at the time had spent time in like the air arm or in the actual American military, either through conscription or through choice. So I wonder if there was just like this appetite for their kids or an mm. appetite for them as well to see these, you know, the next advancement of helicopter blue thunder movie with Schneider is, is actually pretty good. It, it's it a really good movie some, actually. Yeah. It's like, it's, it touches on some 1984 Orwellian sort of, um, like fears of what can be watched and what they can listen to and what they can do. And I think that's the main motivating factor for Schneider stealing it and spoilers for that one, parking it on a train track. Yeah. I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) So good. good. So this is why a lot of people were thinking that the blue thunder TV series would be great because the movie came out first, obviously the full motion picture. And they said like, actually a lot of people did well. The blue thunder budget was 22 million. And in the box office, just in the United States was about 45 million just in the United States alone. So it did really well at the time. And so they were really backing this horse of this TV series of Blue Thunder, but it didn't happen. So Airwolf, the two-hour version, basically, that that was that eventually was launched out anyway on television. It was a TV movie, it was going to be designed out anyway. Um, they were they were they also heard in the in the pipeline at the same time that the Blue Thunder series was happening at the same time. So they panicked. And so what they kind of did was is that they also filmed they filmed a lot of extra little tidbits, a little bit more, a few extra swearier 
bits or they or in the edit they extended quite a few things to make it more violent just in case that it didn't work out they could do it as a movie that could put directly onto vhs uh mm-hmm. because of the just in case if that didn't work right it's a vhs directed director video movie so mm. they can recoup any money that that happened turned out no turned out it did great and and then it built up to there for about three seasons and then then and then a re then a redo season season four which had none of the original cast uh, obviously we need to talk about the the cast First of all, so obviously we got uh, Jan Michael Vincent playing the lead, playing <laughs> Stringfellow Hawk, which is, wow, what a name. That name is so on the nose. Because, like, he's, he's a Stringfellow and he's a, he's a Hawk and he's kind of like, he plays the str- like a string instrument and yeah. he, he, like, flies. It's just like, how on the nose can you get with that name? It's brilliant. <laughs> it's, 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 it's perfect, isn't it? Like it's it's that's such a cool name. Then you look at other cast members, other names from the show, and other you know other cast members and that you're sitting there going, "That's not as cool as that." They came up with that one name first, and it's like, right, we're gonna play this along. <laughs> I guess. Um, true. Uh, Jan Michael Vincent was at that point in time the most highest paid television actor ever. Oh my god! Do you know how much yeah. an episode? I wouldn't even well in that in money in that time. Yes, I don't know, like fifty k, more, hundred k, more, five hundred k, lower. <laughs> Two hundred thousand dollars an episode. Oh so what's my that in God. today's money? I wonder. This is friends money. This is basically friends money. You know what I mean? Because friends and you know, this is Game of Thrones money, basically. Yeah. Do you know how they had like a million an episode? That's basically the equivalency of that now. He was the highest paid television actor at that time, which is insane. That's yeah, I think in my mind, rough inflation, I think that's knocking on for sort of 800000 or seven fifty to $800,000 per episode. That's insane, isn't it? That's that nuts. is phenomenal amounts of money because one would imagine there's probably 20 episodes per season if it's like a year, early US uh, TV series. They kind mm-hmm. of ran 20, 22 episodes of syndication, so plus the movie, yeah. uh, which can only be described as a tone poem. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) which we'll get into but yeah it is fascinating that that was a thing and especially since we're not you know slight spoilers but looking at his performance especially in this version of the movie how he's done in weirdly enough we spent about 75 percent of the movie just giving the coldest stares and getting that amount of money is amazing work <laughs> do you think that i mean i i didn't really check into him what he did before but is is there something of real significant note that he was attached to or awarded for before where they were like this is a guy that can emote cold stares like nobody else in the business and we want to pay crazy money for it well isn't Weird, it, enough, isn't, no. it this, isn't this one of the last things he did well in, no what he, this was this was one of the last lead anything one of the last things he ever did as a lead Last things he ever did as a lead. Everything else afterwards, he was always considered as bit characters and fell into quite a lot of 
bad B-movie schlock. Like, for example, The Ice Cream Man, which is a horror movie about a killer ice cream man. He plays a bit character in that. Uh, My God. I love the ice cream man. That's it. That's a trash date. That's totally that. He's also he also starred in a lot of like bad TV movies such as Jurassic Women, uh, Lethal Orbit, um, and going through a whole bunch of other pieces of tomfoolery. When I uh, had a little digging around myself, I looked into him and he actually had a lot of sort of scandals and stuff, didn't he? To do with mm-hmm. like drugs and cocaine. And that's one of the reasons like uh, the show got cancelled, I think. And then it came back without him. Is that right? Like, because he wasn't Partly. in the. Yeah. It was Partly. like, wow. He used to get into like bar fights and stuff on like d- drug fuel, like rages. Maybe. maybe uh, I was going to, maybe the line, maybe he's a, just a really amazing character actor and the line between Stringfellow Hawk and John Michael Vincent just became so blurred that he took out that Vietnam pent-up PTSD rage through cocaine, drink and bar-fueled fights. I mean, it's a scary idea, that is, and that actually caused the show to end. He ba- yeah, he basically admitted that he was suffering from immense, really bad alcoholism and drug abuse around this time. Um, to the po- to the point that he he basically said he used he used the drugs to keep awake and the alcohol to make him sleep. Wow. <laughs> Which actually, if you if you read between the lines, it means that every single time he's on air in an episode of Wolf, he is coked out his brains. <laughs> he's basically, this explains the dead-eyed stare. This now totally makes sense because he's just on us. He's either drugged up or drunk up, and we don't know which one he's going to be in today. Oh no! Wow. But knowing that, doesn't it give like a much darker view of that character watching him? Because you know, behind the scenes, oh, the movie's dark. And- <laughs> oh, it makes it darker now, isn't it? Just to think, like I'm always, I'm, he's always on drugs. Just imagine being an actor, coked out of your brains on a dock in a lake faking playing a cello because i'm not convinced he can actually play the cello okay absolutely high on a confidence drug probably thinking he can play cello imagine the non-audio clipped version where he's just screaming on this thing making it sound like a wailing banshee Uh, i just i just like you say i think that's probably one of the darkest mind images i've ever had because Often when you watch a film, you get sucked into the world of it and you you think you're watching the character. But if you take yourself out of it, there was four or five people, well, more than that, 20 people, one holding a mic boom over him, one filming it, you know, someone else holding the camera gurney, the director like watching, like, act now, action. And John Michael went, probably got white powder all across his top lip that is obscured because he's like face side to the camera. And how are they thinking that any of this material is going to actually clip together and become a, well, maybe this is the answer, a sensical production? Uh, Well, maybe that's why. I guess so. To be honest, that's now made my viewing, maybe by the changing of this review now, oddly enough, completely different. It's now, I'm not saying I'm going to still like the movie, but I'm going to sit there thinking like, this is, this is, to this explains so much. Like we found the reason why I have problems with this film. Yeah. So you've got other people as well. You have, um, 
Ernest, uh, Ernest Bordenine, who's also been playing Dominic uh, Satani, which is obviously, uh, who's, who's, who's basically like the mentor role. And he's, he's had a very historied career of doing a lot of character work. And he's been doing that for ever until his passing. Uh, he, yeah. I think he died in a, he died at the age of 95 along the lines of wow. that. Wow. He lived a long time. He actually was Incredible. working. He was working all the way up to, he was in ER and nearly won an Emmy for his role in ER in about, in the 2000, early 2000s. So he, he had totally been chugging along. He's been doing well there. It's, I think that Ernest Borgine, it's a shame he never, I don't know if he had more success in his early career, but certainly he has that. I noticed that yesterday he's got that twinkle in his eye. And in that film I mentioned where it was the first time I ever saw him as an actor was the, Treasure Island in Outer Space or Treasure Island in Space or whatever it was called. Mm. He just has this this charm and likability uh, that, mm. you know, pulls you in. I, I'm quite I'm quite happy that he got nominated for an Emmy for his role in ER. I think that's yeah. fantastic. He did a lot of character stuff. And that's kind of the thing that works really nicely with it. He's done a lot of like side roles. He's well, he's never the lead, but he's always there. So he's mm. he's been constantly working um, right up to right up to his death, um, which uh, really shows that as a man that really worked out. And the good thing about it is, he knew for half the time he wasn't going to do like amazing sort of schlock. He, he knew he wasn't going to do amazing movies. He did he did a lot of TV shows and a lot of like meh movies, but he kept going, and he was always kind of a good spark on that, which is great. Interesting factoid before we go on any further is that Airwolf was not meant to be Airwolf. Airwolf was originally supposed to be a spin-off series of Magnum PI. Yes, oh, I read right. this. Yes, yeah, fascinating. So it was based off an episode of Magnum PI, uh, which was called Birds of a Feather, right? And it was that what that episode was supposed to be the backdoor episode for this. Now, they want to say let's do a spin-off of it, but then the studio kind of went, eh, no, thank you. So imagine, so so if it was successful, uh, Airwolf would have actually had far more Magnum PI in it. The the, the creator of both of those shows and a, a few others, I think, was it Jag or Navy Seals or some mm-hmm. some drivel like that? Uh, Donald uh, Balsario yes. is his name, I think, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, when I was having a little rake around, and I've done some raking around on him before, it. He, he does have like an affinity for the ex-military vet mm. type based TV show. I don't think any one of his shows actually has anyone in it that's not done some US military um, sort of time, <laughs> which I find quite uh, interesting, really. And the fact that he was, do you think that he was bored of Magnum at this point and was just trying to create, because Magnum was a big show. Huge. in the states and maybe not so big here i know that it was probably a bit of a bigger boy program uh and and i'd have been a little boy at the time a little mm-hmm. wee short trousered young man <laughs> and uh magnum pi i mean magnum pi tom Selleck turned down raiders of the lost ark for magnum yeah wow oh yeah i yeah. remember that actually yeah because yeah. lots of like photoshops of like uh, Tom Selleck is Indiana Jones, and like, it makes yeah, sense now. He, he was. They wanted him to do. I don't know whether they'd have kept the mustache or not. I don't know. But, oh, he uh, would have totally kept the mustache. Tom, that's his branding. If you remove Tom Selleck's mustache, who is he really? Who I mean, is he has that done man? some roles without the mustache, but it, it looks so weird. 
I would like to imagine he doesn't have a top lip. It's just this really <laughs> tiny, thin layer of skin. And he grows that moustache to cover his teeth. <laughs> he's got, like, the worst upper lip ever, which is why yeah. he's kept that going. It's a bit like those uh, draft excluders on the bottom of doors, like, you know, the brush ones. <laughs> <laughs> yes! That one, they should be referred to as uh, Tom Selleck. <laughs> yeah, the Tom, the Tom Selleck situation. He, he basically took his idea, said, well, if you don't like my idea, I'm going to, I'm just going to make it anyway. Yeah. And so he just changed it, pitched it. And then that became Airwolf. Now wow. he did the, apparently the reason, the reason why that was the case is because that came out at the, that, that part, that episode came out at the same time as Blue Thunder, the movie. Mm. And it's like, let's try and capitalize on Blue Thunder, the movie. And people go like, nah, it's nothing. And it's like, this is going to be a thing. And then it turns out it was going to be a thing because three different studios were trying to make TV shows based on helicopters. So he jumped on that bandwagon as soon as he knew. He was like on the pulse of what culture was going to be <laughs> around that time. Wow. That's... Uh... I mean, like I say, I don't know whether I said it earlier. I don't know whether there was like a vein that they tapped into off the back of Vietnam, or mm-hmm. whether helicopters were like a cutting edge. I mean, they were quite a cutting edge flight vehicle at the time. Really, they'd been yeah. developed in what the late sixties, early seventies. They really started coming of age by the time Airwolf came out. I mean, it's based on a real helicopter, which I'm sure we'll get to. But mm-hmm. you know, it was very aerodynamic, very slick looking thing, very. Mm. Airwolf, uh, Blue Thunder was like the complete polar opposite. It was very square. I always saw Blue Thunder as almost like the Ed 209 to mm. Airwolf's Robocop in its style and aesthetics, you know, yeah. very square edged. And it Blue Thunder resembles more like a modern day Apache gunship. It's very, very workable looking thing. You know, you can you could see it existing. Whereas Airwolf, I don't know, because it tried to retain its... I mean, this is going into the law of the show, but obviously it sucks its weapons up into its body and it sucks its cannons inside itself. So it can be a supersonic Mac capable helicopter with, which technically probably isn't that possible, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Cause it, isn't it right that if you really think about it, there's nowhere for those guns and stuff, there's nowhere for it to go. Like, no. you know, if you've just got to have the landing aspect, like the landing gear and whatnot, there isn't actually a place for all that weaponry when it's concealed, if you look yeah. at how it's built. <laughs> yeah, so basically what that was is that a lot, a lot, a lot of the ideas, it's basically, it was based off a Bell two, uh, 222 uh, helicopter. Yeah. Uh, it was based off that, which is a twin turboshaft helicopter that was traditionally produced just for, just for the civilian market, like in medical emergencies. It was based for that, basically, right? It was mm. inspired by that. But then it morphed, but then with them saying, okay, so the actual helicopter then morphed into it. They had a little extra bits based off that idea. And now that, what that model is was used for Airwolf. Now there was still no room for all that stuff. So a lot of the time that was literally just pasted on with just props it was just like cardboard cutouts and extra bits just pasted on underneath because they couldn't actually physically mold a lot of the stuff because otherwise it would make things too heavy awkward slightly unbalanced yeah because so, a lot of it's seen in close-ups isn't it when it the all the yeah. like the you know the, the missile things come out and stuff like that so it's like you never you don't actually always see all that stuff out in a wide mm. shot do you no, I don't forget their nuclear-tipped strike missiles. How can I forget, George? How can we forget that? <laughs> How can we forget something that's nuclear-tipped? 
bit of a side note, but um, Knight Rider the movie, which is the, uh, the pilot, which is a movie much like Airwolf. Yeah. Have you guys ever seen that? No. I think I did, but I think I saw it where they tried, where they launched it out, not as a movie, but they cut it up into like two parts to make it like part of the season. I think that's how I saw that. Yeah, because I think Michael Knight's initially called Michael Long. He's a policeman that fits the right profile for the character they need. Now, in the beginning of the film, it's a completely different actor who gets shot in the face. Mm. And Knight Industries actually get hold of this kid, uh, of yes. this policeman, and quite sickly rebuild his face in the image of his son that has yes. gone missing or died. So that becomes David Hasselhoff. Okay, in the actual um, pilot movie for Knight Rider, it sounds like another one of my fever dreams, guys. I apologise for these bizarre segues. (laughs) I actually think fantastic that's a 15 as well because of some of the dark edges in it it's uh how's that a 15 and this is an 18 that we've got to see i don't know like i say this cut that we saw yesterday on the watch along and uh if that ever goes up again i encourage people to go check it out Mm. um that that rare 4k redo that you guys managed to put together of Airwolf the movie the very rare 84k grindhouse cut exclusively available through the merch store no doubt at Animatic Productions uh, is is something that was beyond like I say I saw the 15 certificate version and bits have been added in to further the show of the TV series Mm -hmm. and bits that have been cut out that I'm sure we'll get to mainly swears but you know now, here's the thing. Let's talk about that cut. So we actually got what we saw was an even more exclusive cut than we realized because the uh, when it came to actually distributing this, there's, there's been loads of, uh, loads of versions of this of in, in syndication now and a whole bunch of stuff. In fact, if you uh, obviously it's only in America, but in America, you can get all four seasons of Airwolf on Peacock now. So you can, which is one of the streaming services, you can watch all four seasons Right there and then, including the official version of the pilot. What we got was a very, was a very, very chopped up version because, um, around, around the time of the early releases on VHS, interesting enough, in some countries, like in the United States, uh, there's each, the VHSs were only like for an episode. So you mm. only buy the VHS for a 45 to nearly an hour long episode. But yeah. in uh, but in the UK, those episodes were like double episodes. You had two episodes put together, but they were edited to make them look like a movie. Right. So, right. Mm. so they would, so you didn't cut to like now the end of this. No, it would be recut and, sh- and things would be moved around. And sometimes it weren't even in coherent order of like episode two to episode three, be episode four, now episode five. And they edited together to make it into a coherent movie now mm. the version we saw on the watch along was the was mostly an exclusive to the united kingdom the united kingdom got an 18 certificate cut of the pilot which was a standalone film where most of the scenes were reshuffled or reworked they removed uh, they removed most of the continuity ties from the tv yeah. show which is what yeah. you were what you which what you were mentioning along and also incorporated footage from one of the first epi- from one of the first episodes which was mad over miami right so that so in and of itself it also had a little sneaky few little scenes from there with all the profanity left that left that was never that never reached the aired version well apparently this uh, apparently the pilot episode was actually shown in theaters in some places like indonesia which is really random mm. there was a big market for that like violent 
18 certificate like action movies and in you yeah. know the early 80s wasn't there so it's kind of yeah. like yeah we better, may as well bump it up a little bit to make it fit into that group but this is a weird thing this cut is pretty much uk exclusive everywhere else after that was people who nicked it afterwards so this was a very what we saw was the very oh. kind of rarer now 18 uk cut of the pilot episode there was a version of that that came out around uh, 2011 on dvd which was nicknamed airwolf the movie and that That's, was that must be what i've got which was a fully restored version of that of that episode of that whole thing the whole 2 hour pilot episode then in 2016 they did uh, in 2000 around that time as well around 2000 to 2016 then they relaunched that again but this time they have in a weird way they have got they left all the profanity in mm. but they added but they kept all the scenes from the tv pilot episode so in other words then that it's the longer version with more explosions and more swear in it and that is now considered the ultimate edition if you if, if this, this has got more cuts than goddamn blade runner at this moment in time perfect <laughs> it's interesting though it's like an interesting curiosity piece than this one the one we watch is perfect for our show you know I, I i cannot wait honestly boys if you don't clean that image up a little bit more but leave some film noise redo the audio just to bring that level up a little bit if you mm. don't put that out on Enigmatic Productions as an exclusive Airwolf Enigmatic Productions cut, you guys have no longer, well, you're not human, you're immortal vampires, as we know from my, uh, from my <laughs> podcast. But, yes. you know, you are no longer immortal vampires. This is a thing that needs to happen. I would pay hard cash for a Blu-ray version of your cut. <laughs> <laughs> and I will lend you my, I, I will I will donate my DVD so you can add in the footage for bonus scenes because mm. uh, the scenes I saw, do we talk about, do you want to talk about that now? Or do you want to talk yeah, about that? I, the end? I, I think this is about the, I think this is now the perfect time to talk about the alternative things that were removed. So what do you, what did you actually get to see in your what version? I saw in, in a section, there's a bit where um, Dom or Ernest Borgine comes over with the shopping mm. and they, they unpack it and him and it kind of glossed over it in the cut that we saw yesterday, but mm. they kind of then get in, in Dom's helicopter and disappear off. Now mm. they go to obviously one of the um, mind images that I always had as a kid of Airwolf was the Monument Valley, the um, Valley of the Gods, where you've got those strange geological structures, mutes and besses, I think they're referred to, which mm-hmm. are like ero- eroded volcanic um plugs now one of those was hollow that they actually lowered airwolf down into it was almost like the back cave for airwolf yes during that because uh, you in the film you saw them coming back and landing on the pier again in the cut i have they go off and they scout out somewhere to hide airwolf when they bring it back because they're going to use it as a bargaining chip um the 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 scene where uh jean michael vincent and the lady i Forgive me, I can't remember her name, but plot device A. When she, uh, Gabrielle, when she, Gabrielle, forgive yeah. me, when she goes upstairs looking for an art lesson, um, that the, the swearing in there, all the, the cuss words, I would say, that's all missing. And it, the version that I saw was a little bit less rapey. Uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the movie, there's a scene where, because it sort of ended with a fade to black, didn't it? Of them sort of going off heroes, surviving, not really knowing anything. In the version I've got, they meet the uh, Colonel Sanders 
uh, back at his cabin and he has his artwork back um, without revealing too much of what we're going to speak about in a moment. He has his artwork back and a file because one of the things he's, he doesn't want the money, but he wants to find out what's happened to his brother. And he gets his, uh, he gets Colonel Sanders CIA, which they call the firm. I don't think they may be allowed to say the CIA, the firm's file on his missing brother. Uh, And that's where Stringfellow details to them that he'll be keeping Airwolf. Mm-hmm. And he'll be using it for good purposes, but he doesn't mind contracting out to the firm every now and then. But yeah. He's built in this auto destruct. Now, apparently, unless I need to remember if this is correct, because it does sound like an awful inconvenience. <laughs> every 15 minutes, unless Stringfellow Hawk sends a message to Airwolf, it will self destruct. So, how he organizes <laughs> that during the night time, how he organizes that during the day, like he's out playing his cello and it's like, oh, crikey. Uh, uh, probably best do another line of coke and text airwolf so it doesn't explode i mean yeah. what what sort of an inconvenience in life is that you know you're out with a girlfriend you're like skipping down the skipping down you're having a picnic like what are you doing I'm, i need to walk to that payphone because it's the 80s i don't have a mobile i need yeah. to dial airwolf just to make sure she doesn't explode like can you not wait no i've got to go now i'm already pushing it as it is i've got to run it's not a cool yeah. look for john michael vincent his <laughs> His side parting is not subject to running, I don't think. I don't think it's the sort of thing that stands up to a run. Uh, I, I feel like, I think, I think I know the tactic for it. Do you know one of those weird, like, little things where it's like the bird that keeps dipping? Right, like that, right, right. you know, one of those birds, oh, those little things. Yes. yes. I think what it is, it, the, he's got one of those that he puts on a phone, like it puts on a dial phone and just presses the button. And it's like, that's there every 15 minutes. I can relax. There's no one touch the dipping bird. Don't <laughs> no one. touch it. Made famous by Alien, those birds. Is it in their movie Alien, weren't they? The first Alien. And since since we've all been working from home, uh, I think everyone's now got one of those dipping birds to keep their activity up on Skype. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, we're doing fine, we're doing fine. Yeah, 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 yeah it's all good. I'm working, I'm, working. I'm pressing a button. It's just like that episode of The Simpsons, basically. Why or no? Yes, Y E S. No, I can just press Y. Flappy bird, come on in here. Perfect. Pop the dipping bird in, and there we go. So that's the uh, yeah, that's the cut I saw, which then led in. I mean, episode one, if you think Airwolf the movie is bonkers, I implore you to watch episode one of Airwolf. I, I turned it off. I, 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 I'm I obviously a fan of Airwolf the movie. I couldn't stomach the first episode. It wow. Is, it's, it's beyond, it's beyond crap. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What an endorsement. What an endorsement, everyone. So, do you mean that you couldn't then watch the rest of the series or did you just not like episode one when on your I actually rewatch? then just, I just, I watched the movie and thought, my God, that was terrible. Then watched it again just to make sure what I'd seen was exactly what I'd remembered. And then I got into the first episode and it was, it's just so far removed from the formulaic sort of Knight Rider style. I still think Knight Rider holds up. Some of the storylines in that are quite dark. They go after heroin dealers, there's like kidnappers and other bits and bobs. And one of the real guilty pleasures for me of Knight Rider is they have like music of the era, mm-hmm. but because they don't want to pay the full money for it, they do like a uh, instrumental reversion of it. So like they've got uh, Fleetwood Mac Dreams on there that they've reworked with synth. And it's actually quite like a beautiful capture of its time mm-hmm. whereas this airwolf the movie was uh airwolf the f- episode one was about some blonde-haired kid in china i think it was mm-hmm. who was like living as a street urchin who knew chinese whose dad had been an air force pilot and it, the plot was just so 
congealed. Imagine if that was like, let's say you never saw the pilot movie, it never aired in the US, and you sat down, you're all hyped, you know, all oh, this Airwolf thing sounds good. And you sit down and you watch this, you'd be thinking, this isn't very good at all. I'm, I, you know, I'm surprised it got the four seasons it did, let alone the... Well, I'll, well I'll, I'm just, just to wrap up before we go and talk about the movie, let's talk about the production of this. Because season one, reason why it's like that, was the region is supposed to be, this was supposed to be the more mature thing because around this time night rider ah. night rider was coming in so first season one was the more mature season right they wanted to he wanted to be like i wanted to be really about espionage i wanted to really be about a particular thing we're looking into like the chinese and the russians and we're really really trying to do this whole a proper espionage show but ah. then seasons two and three came along and the reason why that happened is because they wanted to improve the ratings because they were spending so much goddamn on this show that <laughs> they're saying well we, we we need to broaden our appeal so in to prove the ratings uh they actually brought in a female character to bring in to broaden the taste right um which they brought in a female character which is the addition of things her name is called kathleen o'shansey i can't never remember seeing this thing but uh she, but she brought in the female demographic, basically. Uh, the, the, however, the, ch- the changes were then proven to be unsuccessful at that point. So in other words, halfway through season two, they still kept her going. But the thing was, then they had, then they started to change even more so the plot. So now they were focusing on being like, instead of being like this big espionage thing that would last an entire season, it would go like, right, it's, it's, it's bad guy of the week, just like Knight Rider would be uh, in, in mm-hmm. most cases. So mm-hmm. they translate. So basically they start to copy Knight Rider by that point. And that became its downfall because Knight Rider overall just had better charisma, had a, was, was just better produced. It was yes. just a better show. So it never really brought that into it. And then obviously certain things happened. So, um, halfway through the show, the, uh, Don, uh, Donald uh, uh, Belisario actually left halfway through season two. Uh, through near the end of season two, he left the running of the show. And then, then he gave it, ironically, to one of the former directors of Blue Thunder, the TV series, to finish off the other series, season and a half. Wow. <laughs> With most TV shows and stuff like that, there is merchandise and there has been loads of merchandise for this show. But here's the ironic thing, right? A lot of the merchandise, a lot of the toys that you saw for things like Airwolf originally were Blue Thunder. They, this is what I'm talking about. They actually really wanted Blue Thunder to be a thing. People saying, oh, it's based off a movie. The movie was great. The TV show is going to be awesome. This is going to sell so much. But it didn't. The TV show failed miserably. So a lot of the to- a lot of the early toys of Airwolf were repainted blue thunder helicopters. <laughs> I uh, I actually, as a kid, had a couple of bits of uh, Airwolf merch. Yeah, I had um, I had a helicopter on a piece of fishing line that you attached to your lamp in yeah, your bedroom. Yeah, I think I had and something you, like that when I was a kid. You, you turn the blades on and and set it off and the gyroscopic force of the blades is enough to keep this thing spinning round and round and round and round and round and round until your Duracell blue, uh, you know, your ever-ready blue batteries probably ran out in about 10 seconds because they, yeah. they held less charge than a potato. And I also <laughs> had like a small uh, Ertl matchbox thing of it. But you know, when you're a kid, you kind of, I don't know whether it's because you're teething or what, 
hot, but you kind of, you like, I always used to like the feel of soft plastic on my canines yeah. and the blades, <laughs> the actual rotor blades of Airwolf were this soft plastic. Oh would, no, did you ruin it? Oh, I did, yeah. So oh, I ended no. up with it without the blades. But to be fair, when a helicopter's in flight, you can't see the blades. So as a kid, I kind of sold myself on the concept that it was moving too fast for your eye to see, you see. So ah. it, it kind of worked. But yeah, I, I think it had landing gear. I maybe bit the landing gear off as well because it was soft plastic because I didn't want this thing flying in the air with no, you know, uh, <laughs> like, normally look at <laughs> You slowly start, started to devour it all. <laughs> I became maybe that's why I've got a soft spot for the movie because I am at one with Airwolf having you actually devoured Airwolf. I'm, a, I'm an Airwolf cannibal. Oh. Uh, yeah, so I, for ages that was still kicking around in like a toy box at, yeah. um, at my parents' house, but I don't know where it is now. Loads of other stuff and merchandise as well. Comic books came out of it. Books came out of it. Even a recent run of books in about 2016 based off Airwolf. So there is still love for Airwolf somewhere. Loads of video games along the time things for the commodore 64 the zx mm. spectrum the bbc micro or the atari 8-bit which originally actually there's another one air that was that was called airwolf but originally again it was adapted from it was it was adapted from a game for blue thunder so you see where i'm coming from it's just a constant cycle you can't escape one without the other wow. <laughs> um and yeah it was a bunch of stuff as well airwolf as well came out on in the arcade there was an arcade game a japanese version of that came out it was really good in the arcade uh there was also uh for, for for the nes and there was also another one for sega mega drive which was nicknamed super airwolf but actually in most places in the united states and the uk it was called crossfire ah interesting so you ah yeah now is that where you play a helicopter and a vehicle yes so so you would yeah that's the one that was one for the sega for sega mega drive uh but it was released under crossfire by that point so yeah right that's interesting in in japan and in japan and some other places it was called super airwolf super airwolf because nobody had the helicopter you had a cool car but now this was just called crossfire they did that with lots of games didn't they just put super in front of it Super, <laughs> yeah. hoping hoping that brought in more stuff. It's like, but it's like, oh, I'm gonna uh, let's see. But this is not regular Airwolf. It's Super Airwolf. It's, it's gonna be better. So let's go and break down the plot summary. So Ed, uh, could you do me the honors of putting some kind of background music while I put on my uh, my trailer voice? It's really bad, but I'm gonna give it a try. Okay, let's pump into this. Here we go. All right then. Fantastic number one theme tune, best thing, the best thing about the whole movie, really. But okay, so <clears throat> Airwolf is a high te- is a high tech t- helicopter created by the government co- agency called the Firm. The scientist who created it is also a deranged is also a bit deranged. He steals it and takes it to Libya. Deputy Director Michael Colesmith Briggs the Third, and also codenamed Archangel, who oversees the Airwolf project, has to take it back. Stringfellow Hawk, the only other man other than the creator who knows how to fly Airwolf, is created by is recruited by Archangel to go to Libya and try and get it back. The only problem is that Hawk has a bit is a is a bit of a loner and an introvert, and his fee is doing the job that the firm must locate his brother, who is missing in action in Vietnam, dead or alive. So that is officially the breakdown of the movie. Sweet Jesus. Um, <laughs> I was so distracted by the music when you were I saying know, right? that. <laughs> the music is way too good. What? It is too good. 
one day when I want to get to be a bigger boy, I want to be the the movie the movie trailer guy. <laughs> Airwolf was designed by Charles Henry Moffat, a genius with psychopathic taste for torturing, killing women. <laughs> thing that. is, the thing is, your thing is, your your voice has got that kind of slightly gravity, like gravel tone to it. That if you put a little, if you put if you put some training in it, I could, t- I would love to hear your voice over trailers. <laughs> So, sign me up. Whatever, you, whatever you need to do to classically train me, Johan. I, 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 I follow your lead. Like Luke to your Obi Wan, I shall follow you. <laughs> uh, basically, the, 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 I can't even do it. I, I, if, after I do the voice, I need water. I can't keep it for longer than however long it is. So imagine a whole like three minute trailer of me talking over everything. I lose my voice. I become, I, ha- I become a mute. I'd have to learn sign language and do all that from scratch. Can you, can you imagine signing the trailer to Airwolf? I think you'd look like you. you I think you'd look like John Michael Vincent at a rave. <laughs> Try to explain it. Can't do it. Can't do the signals. Ah. Okay, so so that's basically the plot. Which you know, it is very standard sort of eighties fare. It's very, it's very, very standard stuff. This is not breaking the mold at all what it does try to break the mold is in a few little extra weird bizarre artistic choices in air quotes that the movie tries to do so in this version of the cut the opening sequence is actually a little longer than the than the tv pilot cut which is surprising and a lot of it is just staring deep into the desert people walking slow in slow motion and a lizard there is this a lizard. is where i was coming from in the watch along and i've sort of hinted towards it now I I don't like use the words lightly tone poem, but they certainly were going for that juxtaposition of desert lizard, airwolf being sort of some sort of strange, sort of out of place predator. Yeah, uh, that was in the desert, almost like a like a lurking menace, like a a foreboding menace. Airwolf is actually quite a devastating. Um, creation if you think about it and uh, his name's charles henry moffat in the film played yes. i actually think quite darkly they mm. sort of you think jean michael vincent's got some sort of middle distance thousand yard stairs <laughs> david hemmings yes uh, classically british trained actor who yeah. can who to be honest with you if he stared at me like that as a grown man i would feel very uncomfortable that's a very disturbing stare that psychotic genius develops I mean, he's into killing and torturing. If yeah, we'll you let a man into. that's that clever design a helicopter, you've got to imagine it has got to be the most outrageous and foreboding killing machine ever devised. It's uh, it's it's the whole mad scientist trope, isn't it? This uh, is the it, mad it scientist, is. yeah. And then you it and it's like, just what happens when you let the mad scientist do his thing. Uh, but this is the thing you you're saying it's a tone poem. So aren't we saying that? that Moffat is actually the, the lizard represents Moffat. Is that what we're trying to say? Actually, do you know what? Maybe because at that moment, the lizard is, is at one is with Airwolf when Moffat is in control of it at one with Airwolf when Moffat is controlling it later on. That imagery is, is gone. There's, there seems to be a lot of desert in there when the series actually aired, it was based around Monument Valley and there was a lot of desert imagery in the Mm -hmm. stark contrast of the yellow or the white. Uh, I'm overthinking it guys, but you know, (laughs) this is great. This is great. 
<laughs> all films and all art are like the Emperor's New Clothes. It's basically a flat delivery until someone gets behind it and raises people's opinions and perceptions of it to a point where someone goes, that's actually art, that's genius. If you were to watch in a cold room uh, a lot of these great films through just non-roast-tinted spectacles or no idea who created it or was involved with it, with the sound or the direction or anything, if someone then told you, if someone showed you Elf and said, this is actually Oscar, you would, this is actually BAFTA award-winning, Oscar-winning, it's all this sort of stuff, you might go, maybe it is. Maybe it is. The tone poem of the lizard. Is this not something beyond what we can even conceive? I would say I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if they were trying to actually put some symbolism. But when I look at that, I think if you are, it's either way too on the nose or it's missing me entirely. So why are we looking at a lizard on a wheel of a helicopter? I mean, I can't, I can't begin to, it's, it's, you know, I'm just a mere mortal. It's way over my head. Donald P. Passario. I mean, look at it, look at his filmography. I mean, it, it tells a story in itself, doesn't it? I mean, it's, 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 it's blazingly average at best. So maybe he was well overreaching himself with the tone poem that is Airwolf the movie. But uh, yeah, that, I mean, the starting scene where it's, you, you see it take off and yes. you hear Airwolf has like that strange sort of, yeah, it has a really cool thing, doesn't it? Yeah, it's not like a full-on helicopter noise. It's like a... With stealth, sort of with stealth noise, yeah, isn't it? It, it's, it is. It's, uh, mm. And it's uh, and I'm sure we'll get to it, all its capabilities very shortly, but it, it, it's a Mac-capable helicopter, which means it can break the speed of sound. And during that sort of early section, we don't get revealed immediately that the the crazy genius Charles Henry Moffat is behind the vehicle's controls until mm. obviously we've seen the, what could be only described as the tech demo. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's, we see. let's have a listen to the uh, features dump. <laughs> let's do it. How fast is that bird? We don't know yet. So far, it's only slightly exceeded the speed of sound. No helicopter slightly. can fly faster than sound. Airwolf can, basically. Airwolf is an aerodynamic lifting body with a twin turbine-driven rotor system capable of propelling it to 300 knots. In other words, it's a fast twin-engine jet chopper. One can express it in those terms. <laughs> it's just translating. <laughs> can disengage its rotor system and ignite these two additional turbines. 9.6 seconds after ignition, Airwolf can exceed Mach 1 from sea level to 65,000 feet. <laughs> the crew consists of an in-flight system specialist in the Electronic Data Command Center to monitor turbine temperatures, fuel and lubricant pressure, rotor synchronization, all onboard flight systems. The second crewman is a countermeasure specialist. His primary MOS is to suppress, neutralize, or destroy so any weapons threatening the integrity It's a huge world. dump of info. He also has a duplicate flight system control in case the aircraft commander becomes incapacitated. And finally, the aircraft commander, who's responsible for positive flight control, target acquisition, and weapon system selection. The latter offers him 14 firepower options, ranging from 30-millimeter cannons to nuclear tips. <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> the, oh. Airwolf is a Mach 1 Plus chopper that can kick butt. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you needed to say! That's all I needed oh, to hear! information is packed into that, like, a minute there. The weird thing is, because I think it was trying so hard to be like a, almost like a porno to helicopter or tech or military yeah. fans of the time, it was almost like a grown-up G.I. Joe. That mm. feature dump, I was listening to each one and I was thinking, well, that that's actually... 
I suppose, feasible. Like a helicopter can't break the speed of sound, but if it disengaged your rotors and fired these sort of rocket jets out the back of it, it, it maybe it could do. If you stuck rockets on a bloody Barbie doll, I'm sure you could break the speed of sound with it. So if you stick rocket boosters on an helicopter and disengage its blades, I'm sure it can. Yeah, uh, It's it's nuclear-tipped strike missiles. I mean, we have, like, depleted uranium rounds now. I mean, maybe it's something along those lines. But that feature dump, it just reads like a porno list to a to a military buff, yeah, doesn't it? it? it it's, it's like when you used to watch the when you watch things like uh <laughs> when you used to watch things like Top Gear and they used to explain all the bits of the car. But you know, it it's it's it that is not for the average person, right? Because you know you can watch things like Top Gear and st- those kind of shows. You're sitting there going like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I I like the cars, I like the silly things, I like how it looks. But then they start going to oh it has all these kind of things in the engine or oh look all the things it goes at certain speeds and that and you can see that is there's that is a for the that's the sexy bits for the motorheads and this is clearly the same for that but it's just funny that you can't capture that there's so much information that i've forgotten half of it already i know we needed a, a, a soundbite of tim allen from home improvement going oh, 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 oh. Well, like, he did that thing when he was like hearing like text stuff <laughs> like, yes it's the ultimate, uh, I think in Hull, they call them Johnny Two Sheds. It's like, oh, I've got a shed, or I've got two sheds. You know, it's always that one up, isn't it? And uh, it, when I was in the Navy, we had a saying for people like that called Black Catters, because if you mm. uh, if you had a black cat, there was someone who had a, a panther called Midnight, if you know what I'm saying. It's, there was always someone who had that one up. And Airwolf, to me, sounds like if you had a top trumps of 80s vehicles, you've got like the 18 van, oh, well, it's got like a swing out door and like a gunner's position mm. airwolf's got nuclear tip strike missiles give me that card okay not, not <laughs> i've got i've got night industries 2000 i've got like a swooshing radar display uh that can that can do all this sort of stuff on the front airwolf's got three man counter position uh strike team on board that can analyze and instantly allocate firepower and countermeasures give me a card uh, <laughs> oh i've got the x-wing starfire well it's got an onboard astromech droid <laughs> As if it's even got 30 mil pop-out machine guns. Give me your card. I mean, Airwolf <laughs> is the Johnny Two Sheds of 80s vehicles. It's just every, that list. It's, it's just trying the trying to trump every other vehicle in history. What's the Donald P. Passario? He's like, what's what's the one-up for this? And then he just got carried away. He probably, fa- yeah. he probably splashed himself in what he thought was talcum powder in John Michael Vincent's bloody uh, <laughs> oh, changing room and ended up inhaling half of it. It was like, that's what Airwolf is. Hilarious. 
we not shortly after that we get Moffat introduces himself to Senator Dietz after this sort of tech demo. I've got a mm. clip of that. Dr. Moffat, this is Senator Dietz. I want to congratulate you on the most spectacular weapons demo I've ever seen. <laughs> I'd like to shake your hand. You already have, Senator. Ooh. On Project Proteus. Proteus. Proteus? This is the White Sand in the 70s. <laughs> I trust the senator remembers me. Oh, a bit of evil synth comes in. Well, it was, a, it was a long time ago. Yes, the firm has shown great confidence in my ability to, uh, to change. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure that trust is well-founded. Not really. And here we go. This leads to the most, oh, I think one of the first reasons why I can see this as an 18, because they kept this death scene, well, not death scene, this whole thing where he just goes and blows up the, uh, the training facility is by far so much overkill. Oh my goodness. One thing that uh, kind of piqued my interest in the three times that I've watched it in the last as many months is that David Hemmings, when he's, when he's like, you showed some great uh, you do no. You already have in Project Proteus. Like, what was Pro- Project Proteus? White Sands. Uh, it almost sounds like it's like UFO tech, and he went a little bit mental and killed a grey or something. I mean, I don't even know. I would love to know the backstory of Project Proteus. Unfortunately, we never find out. I, I would never find out, and I don't. And it's never mentioned again. It's what. It's a lot of things here because they were also, especially when, in this movie, because they were supposed to lead into the TV series. This movie was done as a standalone movie, so anything that we could have learned in the tv show or maybe found out more about was completely cut so because it wouldn't make any logical sense um mm. but overkill so many explosions so many people die except except quite except quite literally uh michael cold cold smith briggs the third who only gets an eye patch how did he survive that <laughs> Well, it, it just kind of shows you that a nuclear tip, as much as Airwolf is the ultimate top Trump's card, it's nuclear tip strike missiles aren't that devastating, really, are they? Because a man can walk away having lost just an eye. If someone said to me, if someone showed me that massive sort of carnage and said to me, George, I'll give you a million pounds if you go in there, but it's going to cost you an eye, I'd be like, is that it? Yes, I knew it. No. I thought he got obliterated with nuke. I mean, the guy's probably going to die of cancer 60 years on from now and the firm will pay him. Maybe he's the smoking man from X-Files or something like that. just having a thought that he just now secretly is oozing radiation. He's just slightly radiating everywhere he goes. Yeah, you turn off the lights and it's like, maybe that's why he wears white because he glows in the dark. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) At least 20 nuclear tip strike missiles fired into that tiny little room and he just covers that woman she dies seemingly, but he just yeah. loses an eye and lives. I don't know, that is a bizarre amount of stray shrapnel. The firm, basically, their 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 uniform uniform in air quote is just white. Just wear mm. lots and lots of white. There's no colour. And then when you do bring colour, that's that's them in casual mode. And even then, it's not full colour. <laughs> There's still white in there somewhere. But it's uh. definitely like sexy 80s music video, like a Robert Palmer video or something. Like they all yes. have these really sexy white like jumpsuits and stuff, don't they? Or just when a full we- like smart suit. 
in white. When we're first introduced to, uh, when we're first reintroduced again to Michael and we're, and to Gabrielle, the love interest, uh, basically, uh, they, they come into, they come in a helicopter all dressed in white. And then you see them throughout the movie all dressed in various outfits of white. So it's a suit or a polo shirt or a, or a nice pair of white jeans. It's just white. It's all over the place, which must, it must mean their cleaning bill must be like, oh, the dry cleaning bill must be intense. Because yeah, it's, it's probably one of those government black funds, isn't it? Like an Independence Day where Jeff Goldblum's father's like, do you think their toilet seat costs $50? It's like, that's where that secret money's funneled off into. It's into like a, a bulk supply of Daz for the CIA. <laughs> so just, yeah, I would not be surprised. But okay, from this, this now leads into, we are finally introduced to Stringfellow Hawk. In the oh, most beautiful, bizarre way possible. Um, Ed, mm. I know you have this. So, so cut to the eagles. First of all, you open yes. the scene with an establishing shot of eagles in flight, and you hear this. <laughs> and then the camera slowly goes to Stringfellow Hawk playing this beautiful string instrument, the cello. And as he's watching the wolf, uh, the bird fly in the air, he is playing the... I would love to show you this scene. He's playing the cello and silently crying. <laughs> so in the version so- we watched, didn't you see tears? Uh, you know, it may no, have been no. on his face a little bit. Or you couldn't really tell no. from that VHS rip, but... Hell no, but um, uh, but you can you can. I, I just love that this is this this is what this is why I think you've been swooped into it, George, about saying this has to be more artistic because this bit doesn't make much sense. He is surprisingly cultured for the kind of character that he is, if that makes mm. sense. So you're saying going, there must be more to this. There must be more to the eagle thing. There has to be more oh, to why he's playing I, the cello. I I just wonder if it's you know in an attempt to make it look a slightly more sort of articulate and intelligent film and to try and give the characters a little bit more nuance. They've gone Mm. with these, I keep joking and referring to them as tone poem, but these sort of metaphoric style shots that try Mm. and add some artistic credence to a, I mean, ultimately maybe Belisario thought he would let this all hang out because he probably thought, well, they didn't let me have this during Magnum. They're probably not going to let me have it off the back of this because it's too edgy. So I'm going to go, he probably put a beret on and went full (laughs) sort of director mode in this and thought, well, this is my Magnum opus i've always wanted to do a helicopter sort of movie and this will be the one i take to the grave it's my proudest work maybe for a tv producer stroke director this is the very high level of scum on the side of the bath and to him this was like his thing that he'd always wanted to make he wanted to show his chops off it it, it, the tone of the film i think as we've mentioned is all over the place it's knowingly joking Mm. at the same time it's trying to be knowingly serious the firm Talk to Stringfellow. They go in and obviously they're going in, looking into his log cabin and first of all, realizing that there's a whole bunch of paintings in his log cabin that are proper fine art. Um, <laughs> uh, which is officially fine art, which in of itself, in this version, that storyline is completely scrapped because obviously it doesn't make sense realistically because this, the, the, the ongoing battle for the art is actually something that keeps going throughout the series. So. Oh, is it? This is one thing that I thought I dreamt because 
in in the version I watched, uh, we kind of rambled through a lot of the films, so we missed probably some of the finer points. But it's alleged that all this art, which is like pictures of Van, uh, self-portraits of Van Gogh and proper European masters' fine work, the the museums have got the fakes, and Stringfellow Hawk's grandfather has collected all the real pieces of art. <laughs> so these are all Fantastic. the legit ones. And yeah. all the museums in Europe have got the fakes. And Stringfellow Hawk's grandfather collected these to show his love for his grandmother. No no explanation as to that he was like a, a crazy art thief or maybe... Uh, where did he get the money from? But I'm loving the... I love the weird-ass, slightly detached conversations that these guys have over the bar, mm. in uh, uh, over dinner, in bed. There's loads of moments that we could share. And I bet, Ed, I bet you got a few well, that you've I've had got, to share. It's interesting because you mentioned the eagle. And if, if the eagle was just a passing thing then it would just be in that scene as a visual. But the eagle is referenced uh, a couple of times. And in this conversation, uh, we get this. You scared the eagle. A what? Flying in, you're downdrafting the eagle. (laughs) I'm sorry. Tell that to the eagle. <laughs> I love that. They're like talking amongst themselves, and he just completely goes on a tangent and just says, "You scared my eagle." <laughs> oh yes, of course. That's what they say. He's they're landing. He, are we to imagine? I mean, I think you've got a quote for this, haven't you? Are we to imagine that he is sort of? I mean, I think the clip is that the serenades an eagle. Have you got it there? Uh, yeah. So uh, here we go. That was lovely. You know, it's obvious you studied with Colton. You seem to know everything about me. I don't. I knew you played the cello well. I didn't know you serenaded eagles. I mean, that's later on in the movie, but yeah, we can play it there. I didn't know that you serenaded eagles. So he's somehow like in a strange, he somehow sort of serenades and brings down the eagle from its normal day-to-day routine to watch him and listen to him play the cello over this lake. That is so bizarre. That's that's an extra (laughs) wrinkle into this. He has a magical power, his cello. That's what he should be saving the universe with, with his cello playing. He's doing far more better that way than bloody what he's doing with the helicopter. In fact, the, the CIA ought to parachute him on top of a building and he could then sort of corral a whole sort of flock of eagles with his cello and get them to sort of inflict pain and damage on the enemy soldiers that way but but during this section it's kind of intercut between uh meeting dr moffat yes uh getting fully like sort of relaxed in his new <laughs> his new location and there's a bit yeah. where he kind of like uh is is like talking about is there a vulnerable aspect of Airwolf? And there's an yes. interesting thing where he does a, like a Russian roulette thing with the uh, fuel is it the fuel intake. I've yeah. got a clip of this. This is the uh, mid-air refueling intake. Uh, one bullet up there and the whole thing will blow up. So by this point, he gets the gun and just shoves it in. It's quite sexual. It's, it's disturbing. You're, you're, you always have to shaft something into a hole. So he actually mm. he's playing roulette with that, and he's, he's uh, all the whole time he's he's eyeing up 
the guy. I, I actually find his presence, the way he sort of manhandles that gun. And like I've always been quite fearful of, I've always respected guns uh, yeah. as, a, as a kid, if, you know, parents grandparents have gone like you know on shoots and bits and bobs and they've had guns around the house and i've always learned to respect them so when i see someone mishandling one like that with, with actual rounds in it i always mm. actually find it quite scary because mm, yeah. he's sort of thousand yard stare as he sort of plays with it he sticks it in airwolf and shoots it he's trying to shoot that coin out of that guy's hand in the swimming pool when we first meet him when he's in his full chic robes isn't he mm, when we first yeah. cut to him uh, and and it's a great way of showing how sort of to me as a kid I'd have been terrified by that and mm. and and maybe that's why he got a bit of the eighteen certificate as well I don't know but his his sort of sort of slightly portly look to him he, mm. he almost looks sort of ill in a way doesn't he and he's a bit diseased and the way he kind of portrays it I actually diseased. find him quite I actually find him quite menacing oh and he's very whole, menacing. That whole thing where he sort of, as you say, he sexually sticks that thing in Airwolf and pops the trigger, and I'm like, actually, this is quite dark. You know, he's willing to, he wants to run that risk of dying at any moment, doesn't he? Because he'll quite mm. often pop the gun at his own temple and pull, and it doesn't work out, and yeah. you know, run the risk of exploding goodness knows how many uh, litres of fuel and nuclear tip strike missiles on Gaddafi as well with a K because saying actually Gaddafi would be a little bit naughty seeing as it was based in Iran. Gaddafi's summer palace to smithereens. Uh, Yeah. Moffat. Dangerous. The movie is very weird to me. The way it's edited, to me, got me, I'm going to admit, quite frustrated because there's moments where it cuts between the, it cuts between Stringfellow trying to be recruited and there's loads. Yeah. And uh, to me, all the weirder, funnier moments are from there, right? Like the weird, it's like somewhat bad kind of weird moments are coming from these moments. The other parts are either Moffat staring at people really, really, really intimidatingly or really cool things with a helicopter. But they are, for, for the longest time, they're so detached that I, I like it, it almost gets you to the point where I'm thinking I need to I, I'm getting annoyed at it. I want to get to the fun bits with this guy. What's this guy got to do with this guy? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, just is like a little bit of context about the get a feel of like how the Moffat stare is how intense it is. I've got a clip yes. where there's a bit where he is staring at the dancer in the bar. Yes. And this is what the uh, music is like. So, so you got that first, uh, he, but as this, the dancer is staring and he, but he's yeah. staring at her and it goes to a very menacing dread yeah. synth. And it carries on, and it's his face just staring at her. And it's like that. It's really scary. It's like a horror film. <laughs> it, it is, though, isn't it? I mean, he certainly read the script and decided he he knew how to play Moffat. And I, I think, in a way, in, in in of all the performances in the film, I think uh, Jean-Michael Vincent is trying too hard and, and probably misses the beat a couple of times. But yeah. if you were to extract anything from this film, I actually think that uh, David Hemmings... Plays quite a good bad guy, to be fair. And, uh, I actually would like to see more of him in a similar role. Yeah, definitely. The thing is, that's what most of his bits are: is death stairs mm. and 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 helicopter stuff. Right. We then cut back 
like this is the thing it's really hard to talk about the plot as a uh, like in chronological order because there's lots of moments where it jumps to a really cool helicopter bit where they might take down a might might, might take down a ship or they might go and t- attack an island or whatever and those are cool they're really cool to watch there are loads of action explosions the whole thing taking out an entire like base cool but it's just going back to Stringfellow, that does nothing. For example, like he even says at one point, it's like, I'm not even interested in doing this. I'm going to my job, which I'm assuming you've got something there, Ed, where he actually is a stunt double <laughs> for a movie. I've been up there doing it for the cameras, and I'm going to do it for Mona. Either that or you can take your, your choppers and stick them up your fucking ass. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now you listen to me, Mr. Movie Star. Dominic. What? Man says he can fly Letty. All right, shotgun. Make it legal. If you do that, Mona will think that you're flying. I won't touch the control. What's wrong? Not enough left pedal. throw-up joke but at the same token we see like uh we'll call him moffat i'm gonna give yeah. him his full charles henry moffat we'll, moffat he's quite happy flirting with danger with this pistol he's and he's like quite willing to throw his own life away at, at the gamble of a, a random event yeah and he, he's yang to jean michael vincent's stringfellow hawks ying because he's <laughs> equally willing to throw his life away he's he's so nonplussed about death yeah, uh, that he's willing to just get in it. Like, whatever, if you want to crash it and kill us both, I don't. I really don't care. I think that's. I don't know whether that was done on purpose or, or, or maybe is that the sort of a trope of an eighties heroic figure in these what, sorts what, of literally things? just not it's caring, cold and laid back, and too laid yeah. back though. They've got like no emotion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, basically, another thing with uh, with uh, Stringfellow is also that he too has a death stare, which we've mentioned before. But his death stare plays out differently. That's <laughs> a different tone. What, are you it. talking about his seduction techniques? <laughs> yes. Like oh, this. my God. Let's go. Strange fellow. Strange fellow. At this point, he's naked, by the way. He, he's totally in the buff. Look at your collection. When I heard you moving around up here, just wanted to talk about the art. How anyone could put together a collection like that. It's fantastic. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, I'm sorry, I guess it's none of my business. He's just staring at her the entire time. There is no communication here. <laughs> 
There you go. At the end of that, you didn't come here to talk about art. And then he got, like, pushes it onto the bed. And then I've got another clip this of that. Like, gets, a, gets quite rapey here. This is what you came here for. No. Archangel's worried I will take the assignment. Perfect. You're here to fuck me. You're wrong. You're a liar. You come here to talk about art. Yes, I did. <laughs> maybe not totally. I didn't come here for Archangel. <laughs> Liar's liar. Damn! I mean, that whole thing. Do you think that? I mean, it's kind of like the James, the early James Bond of seduction techniques, where it is a bit like forceful, and it's like it's just something it wouldn't could it today. It's like you can't be like that around women. But back in the day, it was totally fine, and it seemed like oh no, he's a powerful totally man. Fine. I, I, like I, I look re- realistically, I don't think it was ever fine, but it was basically more just tolerable by brutish. I'm look, I'm I'm misunderstood. I'm harsh. I'm quiet. I can I can totally bang you. And this the whole point was mounts basically sort of mounts her onto the bed, puts her down like onto the bed, says all this stuff, but then. I'm slightly disappointed because they don't end up having sex. He just rolls over. In the cut I saw, it fades to black, insinuating more along the lines they had sex. Whereas this film, as you say, he rolls over and it feels like, you know, either he's very, as is in the watch along uh, Johnny Two Pumps, as you called him, Harvey. I I don't know whether that's... Two pump chump. That's <laughs> it. Is it. Is a two pump chump. I actually or... got that saying off Bobby, by the way, the other host oh, of really? Official Control. I heard him say that. That's where I've got it from. <laughs> He's a two pump chump. Uh, but the fade to black, I felt, was more classy and added the fifteen certificate cut I saw actually added more to the sort of credence of the scene. I find though his delivery it's so whispery. Even on the version I heard, I I could barely hear his his actual delivery. In, mm. in that scene especially and it's lit like a horror film it's all like very heavy silhouette like backlit so you just got the outline of the characters yeah weirdly enough it, that, that scene didn't feel seductive at all you're sitting there going like i'm concerned for her <laughs> that that is how i interpreted it as well and we also get a little bit of context about why he's so weird around women i've got a clip of that so we can i'll play yes. that and then we can talk about that don't get interested in strength, fellow Hawk. There's no future in it for you or any woman. Why not? Hmm. When he was 12, he and his parents were in a boating accident on the lake. They drowned. Just before he shipped out to Vietnam, he and his girlfriend were in a car crash. She died. In Nam, he and his brother went down on the same mission. He got picked up. Sinjin didn't. Stringfellow is afraid that anyone he loves or might love will die. <laughs> so Damn. It's a really dark bit of like uh, insight of his character, but it's very typical of like a protagonist, isn't it? Thing is, a lot of that stuff is very similar for quite a long time, to be frank, until about maybe 25 minutes left of the movie. So for an hour or so, we get this they don't even really talk to talk to each other about stuff about this they don't interact in any shape or form until finally 
they put their, they, they realize that they, they do this really horrible, really weird explanation where that strip joint, they say like, oh, women are mysteriously disappearing like on a daily basis. So let's mm-hmm. send Gabrielle the love interest over, shall we? <laughs> I mean, <sighs> you've got to question the American special intelligence agency that's found this bar where the Iranian high brass hang out, this strip joint, and yeah. Moffitt, this sort of uh, double agent that's gone over there, not double agent, but, you know, uh, yeah. a very naughty man, stolen this this supersonic death machine that he's created. He mm-hmm. goes over and then they hang out there and they keep losing agents. Like what is going on with their intelligence network where they can't put two and two together. And yeah. then they send this woman over there anyway, knowing pretty much that she's ripe for old rapey face to get into. Uh, I mean, it's almost like a fresh bit of uh, food goes on at the buffet and he's like, Oh yeah, please. He's straight in there on the prawn ring. Isn't he? Gabriella is like instant victim. The only thing I can think of is that this was done on purpose to manipulate Stringfellow because apparently they had feelings for each other, which really, in a weird way, developed Mm. very quickly for me because realistically it's only been, what, a week, right, in this cabin? Oh, been a week in this cabin. And yeah, I'm not sure whether they knew each other or not. I couldn't tell from the movie when I watched it, but in a week they suddenly get very coupley and cuddly and they kiss and it's cute. And you think like... From rapey scene to that, that's a leap. Which is weird because they haven't got any chemistry. I don't know about you, but they've got. I think it's just yeah. because, it, like, he he's being so cold that it, yeah. it, it's hard to tell whether he likes anyone anyway. So, but they're, they're ridiculous. Yeah, but they do go on this kind of like a date, don't they? Like a fishing date. <laughs> yes, they do. And um, and obviously they uh, they go fishing and they get a and they get a beautiful beautiful fish. Um, a beautiful, the, the most, the most beautiful of fish, basically. Um, and it ends in a very, uh, very weird moment because they, they have, they have a bit of a conversation about that said fish. And I'm looking at you, Ed, because I can already tell you're gasping to press the button. Eating the poor thing just to spite me. <laughs> you think I'm being stupid? Yeah. I know people eat fish. I eat fish. It's got so much sorrow in her voice. <laughs> that trout was very beautiful. The beautifulest trout. Yeah, I, I think I understand. Do you? Yeah, you just like to eat ugly fish. <laughs> <laughs> I love the classical music in the background as well. He's so cultured, isn't he? <laughs> And then finally, Gabrielle's gone to the thing. She's now a dancer, stripper in 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 in, in Libya. Stringfellow is pissed at this, and so he's like, "Fine, I'll do your goddamn mission, just so I can get Gabrielle out of there." And so he he, he does. He, he gets on there. He gets on the helicopter. He gets the flying. Gets all there. Gets ready to go. He gets to the airport, and another woman in a white suit appears, gives him the whole spiel. Oh, I've got a clip of about, her. Yes, please. Oh, the cover story woman. Yeah. Yes. Springfellow Hawk? Yeah. Strip out of your clothes, please. <laughs> <laughs> just that's all you need. <laughs> it summed it up, really. Because it's like, excuse me, I've already just got the thing. No, we have, we have to get changed. We've got to be there in 20 minutes. Um, and just basically explains as it goes. Um, they're saying, like, there's a cover story. Uh, it's really, like, a really lame cover story. And now you have, you have to catch a flight in about 15 minutes. We, we do actually learn one piece of really important uh, character development there in the fact that uh, 
she's told him that she's managed to get him a load of clothes. They're secondhand. I don't know why that she couldn't get new ones easier than secondhand. But not only that, his rebuff to these secondhand clothes and, and, and underwear is that he barely wears underwear anyway. So I, I don't yes. know how someone barely wears them. Is that where they're like not covering, you've got them on, but they don't cover your genitalia, so you kind of got them sort of bundled up around your upper thigh, or or whether that he only wears them on special occasions, or... Or is or, or is it the fact he just wears like a thong, so it's, it's not a full set of undies? It's just yeah, like it's still out. I don't, I, think, I don't even know what barely wears them means. I know, I think you should commit to like, I never wear underwear, or I yes. wear underwear. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> or, 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 or maybe it's a schedule. It's like I only wear underwear on Mondays. It's like wow. <laughs> maybe he just hasn't got enough pairs. <laughs> He's just got the one set of underwear. This is why he barely wears it because <laughs> it's gross and grody. Oh man, it's a shiny Excellent. thong like uh, Dominic's jacket. <laughs> yes. Can you imagine if it was the same material? My God. So they actually arrive in Libya. He, a string fella goes into the club that Gabrielle's working at. And they have a very, very sort of, I think it's the first time that string fellow has emoted in the entire movie. Mm. Well, emoted in air quotes. You know. And that's about an hour and five minutes in. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. With this movie, we're waiting for a lot of stuff to happen, aren't we? A lot of the time. Yes. You, surprisingly, you'd think there'd be a lot more action and also the beats would come up like a lot quicker but we're waiting for a long well, time for these to arrive but i feel that no the action's there it just has nothing to do with stringfellow yeah and he's our protagonist if stringfellow was there in some capacity or at least something more about the agency or something was more connected to moffat just flying around looking cool in a helicopter i would be more invested but no i'm sitting there going literally for about an hour you had nothing to do with this person. I know. Like, nothing is connected. And it's frustrating because, like, you want the hero to be in the he- helicopter very early on, don't you? But he's yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, not like that at all. It's just a bad guy doing bad guy stuff with no context. Um, one thing, uh, and, and so this, but this is the point where finally, I feel like finally, you know, the streams have crossed. They're finally getting to a point where the bad guy and the good guy finally have some kind of confrontation or something happens. Um, and, and, and that is in this club. The only thing at the minute, the only thing for me is that there's a big emotionally in depth moment. But, you know, they share off, they share their feelings for each other. And the whole idea that, you know, she, he's saying like, no, oh, look, as pretty soon I need to be, uh, I have to go, but you need to be on that plane. I want you to stay alive. And does, and does the promise of promises that you should never, ever promise anybody, which is basically promise me you won't die. <laughs> I promise I won't die. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? But she does, doesn't she? She does make that promise. Yeah. That's the sort of that. thing a child would ask a parent to promise. Yeah. Do you yeah. Think, again, you know, that's that's Stringfellow Hawk. He's very stunted emotionally, maybe because of, <laughs> you know, not having parents or whatever for, during yeah. his teenage years. I don't even know what that is, but it's a very strange thing for... They've established him as this dark, brooding character, and then he's he falls head over heels in love with a woman within six days to the point where he cannot bear the thought of living without her. Yeah. Now, that's a great uh, setup for a plot device, and it gives him some emotive things to go chasing after, but 
it doesn't feel very good, does it? And then mm. that that scene then uh, moves to him leaving the bar, yeah. bumping into Ernest Borgine, yeah. then running away from an Iranian police patrol. And then I never noticed this when I watched it, Harvey, but you're absolutely right. This this dark this dark tone runs to this comedic scene where they're having a conversation, but then it cuts to two camels <laughs> with their lips moving. <laughs> With the with the camel's lips moving, with them out of shot, but their voice is still audible. So it looks like they're the camp. The camels are using their voices, or the voices are, the camels are speaking with their voices. Hilarious. One of the most bizarre scenes, and actually humorous when watched in total separation. But when amongst all of this together, it makes no sense at all. It just seems no. very weird, now, doesn't it? Was that no bit sense. was that bit like accidental humor, or was it like? Oh, we need a cutaway in this scene to like, so we can hide cuts and stuff like that. So we've only got the camel for this. Let, let's let's put the camels in there, or was it intentional humour? I, I, I'm, I, look, look, okay, okay, look. This is this is something that I thought I would never fall into again, which is we're overthinking the movie. We've already overthunk it, <laughs> like already way too much. Now, if we already start thinking why the camel is there, I think our brains will explode. So I'm going with the logic that they don't, ha- they didn't have enough B-roll, yeah, and they want to cut off between different takes, so they just cut to the camel, and it was always inappropriately cut to the camel because they still kept the voiceover, they all kept the voice and the dialogue running through it, so you have the weird moving lip talking camel it'd be fine if it was one camel but there's two camels and there's two people <laughs> and they're looking at each other as well as if it's like they actually, i mean one would imagine it maybe something they shot to set a scene of being the desert you know there's nothing that sells the idea of being a desert area more than a camel yeah yeah uh, i just wonder if like the editor decided just to have a little bit of fun and, and use that <laughs> do you think maybe it just just is it, it's it's yeah it's an editor of us uh, sitting there going my God, this movie's dull. Oh my God, what's happening here? You know what? <laughs> it is genuinely funny. When Harvey pointed it out, I was like, I've never noticed this before, but even the lip syncing on the camels to the dialogue is oh, fantastic. Oh, it was bang on. I really thought they were talking. And a question of psychopath. The Orbi has nothing to fear. You're in a- no, I, I have got a clip of Gabriel uh, when they discover Gabrielle in the yeah. desert because Moffat takes her to the middle of the desert. It's quite, this is getting really yes. dark. This is why they need the humor in there because you've got these really dark like scenes that, that are in the later part of the movie where mm. you, you just basically, they go into the middle of nowhere in the desert, him and uh, Moffat and Gabrielle. And she's mm-hmm. just like in her stripper outfit <laughs> left in the desert. And uh, I've got a clip of when they discover her. Oh my God. Back to the 80s thriller. And literally, <laughs> it's, it's so wave. dark that you've got Nightmare on Elm Street score. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but yeah, they, they discover a, or a half-dead Gabrielle in the desert, pretty yeah. much. And that then Stringfellow is absolutely pissed. Well, I don't... You can't really not get to this bit without explaining how they managed to blag their way into a palace and Airwolf's just parked yes! on the front lawn. Airwolf's just parked on the front lawn, uh, Harvey, as if it's just a... Uh, uh, I don't know a Rolls Royce or something. It seems very bizarre. <laughs> it's right there. It, well, it's like fra- it's framed in a little window, isn't it? Like as well. It is because <laughs> even Stringfellow's like, I can't believe it. Look, there, there's Airwolf on the front lawn. 
they, they try to get into the facility by fake by 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 having uh Borgine play speak Italian to an Iranian, which yeah, to is... an Iranian, which apparently somehow works because apparently oh I too speak Italian sure why not and then um there's a bit where basically I love the bit because uh, Stringfellow has no idea what he's talking about he's just going uh huh uh huh in the aviators yeah, he's just nodding yeah actually that's that's quite humorous as well to be fair I, I guess so humor maybe, so maybe the camels is on purpose and if that's the case oh boy um but then they go in. <laughs> And they go in and using their wits about themselves, which is they, they find, they, they fight, they find the uniforms, they get into the uniforms and they go in to try and finally take down Airwolf. And finally, and now I'll just say this. This is an hour and 15 minutes into the movie. The wow. movie is an hour and a half. <laughs> Including credits, one would imagine. Including credits. Yeah. <laughs> so Christ of the bike. It all comes battle. together, doesn't it? It all. But then they, once they obviously uh, Santini, aka Ernest Borgine, gets on board and is wowed by the technology and, and yeah. sparks up Airwolf. And this Iranian guard happens to notice that Borgine looks like quite a portly fellow and probably string fellow is probably a foot taller than the other guy. <laughs> so they've both got these badly fitting overalls, and it, he gets him to lift his visor, to which. Jean-Michael Vincent replies and then executes classic 80s TV hero Kung Fu on the closest <laughs> members. Gets his hands on an Uzi. Gets down. I remember him getting down more in the one I saw. We're getting more down in like a yoga pose and just firing from the hip and sort of yeah. decimating these, these guys, uh, these Iranian guards. Then they get on board and basically, un- well, they basically do the reverse feature dump of the full weapons suite of Airwolf on yeah. the surrounding guards. There was a scene as well where they even cut a palm tree in half with the devastating it 30 mil cannons. Awesome. It's absolutely Finally. amazing. Yeah, the only reason I haven't got a clip of that whole scene is because it's just like explosions and stuff. <laughs> and the, the, they've got that helicopter literally hovering two foot above the floor, <laughs> which is a pilot, pilot feat in itself to get a helicopter that low without crashing it just fully unleashing all this devastation. Actually, I was quite enthralled by that. It was, it was pretty brutal, wasn't it? This is the thing. It was brutal. But this is the thing. By that point, I'm sitting there going, finally, you're in the helicopter and you are killing, you've pretty much wiped the entire base entirely by yourself. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, hardcore. It definitely feels like a computer game at that point, like Desert Strike or something <laughs> I have got a clip of her. The reason why I've got a clip of this is because, you know, we're referencing eagles a lot when yes. she's like almost half dead. And he, he's a uh, string fellow kind of like, put, like putting water on her lips and stuff. She says Which... this. What was that? I thought you were the eagle. <laughs> she says, I want. She sounds like it's quite hard because the VHS audio, but it sounds like I wanted to see the eagle. I kept thinking about you I and the to eagle. See, <laughs> I was thinking about you and the eagles. I think one of the things I said in my rant about it uh, on my show was that uh, Charles Henry Moffat, one of his ways he gets kicks is to duct these girls after the Iranians have badly interrogated them. Yeah, taking them, he takes them to the desert. He handcuffs them to the jeep. He drinks water in front of them lavishly while only dribbling yeah. bits in their hair and mm. then plays Russian roulette with them. Again, 
I find the delivery of the sort of uh, uh, interrogation scene or the torture scene in the desert's a little bit hammy. So it kind of mm. loses a little bit of its strength. The idea is actually very, Horrendous. very dark. Yeah. <laughs> really dark but the actual delivery of it in that moment is uh, quite off damper it's just it's a bit hammy it's almost to the point of being hilarious i would say maybe because i don't feel that woman is probably deserves the best it and it's not just, in a weird way it's like no, well she, obviously no woman deserves that but almost like you feel like the impact of her as a character we're not as invested as much like no at all so if we were more invested or whatever it is we'd be sitting there going like oh wow that is really harsh and then obviously and the sad thing is and this is something that surprised me because i thought it would happen she dies i know yeah yeah mm. she dies i was taken aback by that as well but <laughs> she, yeah. she's a useless plot device by the time the series yeah. rolls around so, so you think like oh my god she dies and a bit because you see her you can see him holding her and it's like no literally that kind of feeling it's like yeah. So good. And I say, <laughs> that uh, sets up the kind of revenge chase, doesn't it? Which is, which is awesome. that, doesn't it? Yeah, he just, yeah. He, so he's, uh, string flow is like flying towards Moffat. And then they have like, yeah. a, a standoff that reminded me of, you know, in Batman, where Joker's about to get the, the, uh, the long pistol out and shoot the, yes. the Batwing. He kind of does that yes. with a regular pistol. Like Moffat's like aiming, he's, he's like earlier with the fuel intake, he's aiming to kind of shoot the fuel intake from a long way away. Uh, but like, Stringfellow just unloads all the artillery on him. And uh, yeah. to, to this point... Just everything he's got, throwing it at him. So many explosions. It's such overkill. But then that hit sound you hear there, he's just still yeah. trying to fire. He's used all the ammo, but he's still, it's like PTSD kind of. Yeah, that's, that's, when I finished watching the film myself, when I saw it the two times, like that, that actual image of him sort of pulling on that trigger, I actually found to be one of the darkest scenes in the film. It's kind mm. of like, he's really affected by it, isn't mm. he? I mean, him just, he's the good guy and he's just still trying to kill this dude who's like six missiles ago, his guts are spread halfway across this Northern Sahara desert. He's still going. Yeah. And I find that. And Dom just has to quite, like say, it's done. It's done. Just make him stop. Which is, that is yeah. terrifying because that's like, that's almost Rambo levels of like crazy. Yeah. And this is supposed to be our protagonist. This is the guy that we're supposed to think he's the good guy. Really? That was overkill. Like, look, again, Moffat was a, a tyrant. He was a monster. He was terrible. He's creepy. He's, he's every definition of terrible under the sun. But even for that guy, I'm sitting there going, wow, that is, this is such a long sequence of explosions. Every, every, all the money went into that final sequence where everything exploded. You said something there that actually piqued my interest. You know, I didn't see Rambo as a kid and I saw it maybe as a 20 year old. I got hold of a, I got a very early DVD player and one of the only DVDs down the HMV was the Rambo trilogy. Yeah. Two and three or and four or whatever, they are like trash tapes fodder. But the first Rambo mm. of like a guy with PTSD getting the wrong end of the stick, being an ex-Vietnam veteran, there mm. are shades of that. There are attempted shades of such class and eloquence as mm. the first Rambo in that in that trigger pull. I think that's an absolutely cracking uh, sort of 
cross idea that you've got there. That's perfect. But that's the thing is, to me, if eventually make a whole TV series based on this one guy, I would not want to watch an entire TV series of Rambo, right? Although there was apparently... Although there was a Rambo cartoon, which, you know, <laughs> um, which in of itself sums up why that shouldn't be a thing. But I think I said they're going, yeah, it's dark. And, it, and if, that, if that was the movie, and that's where it ended, which it does actually kind of end quite abruptly by that point. He just, yeah. they, they just goes off, flies off into the sunset and it cuts to black. But if that's supposed to be it, if that's, if, th- if this was a movie, like just a movie on its own, and it got into there, I would think, well, actually, that's really dark, and that's actually for actual character development, although there's loads of hints of him being something like this throughout the entire movie, because, Mm. really, he's so cold that, to be honest, this no longer comes as a surprise. But um, if this being the lead of a TV series where he is the good guy, I'm nervous. (laughs) Definitely. But the tone was different, a lot different in the TV, TV series. So, 100%. Well, I think, yeah. I think the tone was different in series two and three. I think the tone of the film continues, as uh, Johan sort of said, that they went with that espionage, more grown-up style, I yeah. think, in series one. Like that one I watched, I was like, oh, my God, I can't handle any more. I literally could not handle any more of that. Yeah. And it was immediately what they served up in series one, which is probably why it did okay for the ratings, because I'm sure dads and kids tuned in because there's another gadget-filled vehicle of the yeah. 80s. And, and you know what? If you can press that uh, montage footage down into a 30-second TV advert, you're going to have millions of people turning up week on week to watch that crap because it looks amazing doesn't it in a, in a montage the movie for me if it was a standalone movie like it was just it, it never made a tv series it went into that i might be a bit more forgiving for this but um no i feel like i think i think now the movie the movie ended it left me very cold very confused and 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 with an evil death stare which i think homer <laughs> sums up a, like all the characters in this movie basically oh man uh, I think it's about time that we do the Trashometer. Trashometer. Right. Thank you so very much. So if this is the uh, if this is the first time you were listening to the podcast, welcome. But for to fill you in, but we do reviews a little bit differently around here. When we don't give it five stars or we go around doing an A grade or whatever. Now we do something called the Trashometer, where there's five stages of trash. Okay, and this is how we grade each movie to see our enjoyment of trash, how we enjoyed it, how much we enjoyed it, or how much we thought it was torturous. First of all, we have Tame at the very, very bottom. Basically, the movie bored us. Like, the movie was boring, it wasn't considered fun, it didn't maybe have enough trashy elements, or it's genuinely just a good movie with no trash. That would fall under Tame, because we've had a couple of those. We've had a couple of those, Ed, where they were actually just good movies, and because they were good movies, like, I didn't see anything really trashy about them, we're like, well, this doesn't fall under Trashometer at all. Yeah. This, for me, it's, it's a very difficult movie to rate on the Trashometer. Oh, well, well, it is, isn't it? So let's go through the next bet. Is it a tiny bit trashy? Where there are elements of trashiness and there are some fun bits, but we're either finding the movie boring or we're just not feeling it, right? Like, there's no feeling to it, right? Middle, trash. Perfect. Wow, it's a sweet spot. It's the golden, it's the golden egg. It is all the, it's the perfect amalgamation of trash, which is, we've, we've done things like The Room, Barbed Wire, all these kind of movies fall directly into to 
trash, right? Then you got too trashy. This is where it has trashy elements, but we're not, we're no longer bored by it. We're getting angry at it, or we're getting starting to get a bit frustrated. It's still a fun time, but it's frustrating. And then there's torture. Torture is, nope, this is not fun anymore. I'm angry at this. This has annoyed me. All that kind of stuff. Street Fighter the movie fell under this. Uh, Southland Tales fell under this. And there's quite a few kind of... There are future movies I'm guaranteeing might fall into this. So, yeah. So, let's actually start off with our guest. I think I think our guest should give this a go. So, George, where do you think it falls under? That's a, that's a tough one because... I've probably watched it more often in the last three months than anyone in the whole world. I am currently <laughs> the expert on the Airwolf movie, so I'm, I'm very honoured that you've had me on. It's it's a strange title to be brought in under, the Airwolf the Movie Guru, which I've now decided is my, is my secondary uh, echelon tier of educational prowess. But I would... I don't think we should rate it in such a way. I would like to say that it's a, a red wine-soaked script spoiled with probably too much cocaine over direction uh, and and for that reason there are elements in there that hit home there are elements of it that are completely out of place mm. uh, there are elements of certain characters delivery david hemmings for one mm. i'm actually sold on him i wish he was still alive because i'd love to see him sort of do a, another character like this i don't know how john michael vincent was able to capture eight hundred thousand equivalent k per episode in today's <laughs> money i find that shocking ernest borgine is underused but maybe for this film it would have made the tone even more crazy maybe. so i i for me feel like there's there's it, it it's probably slap bang in the middle i like to think it, it's perfect trash but probably edging more towards a four because there's frustration in there as well because mm. it, it, like i say it's trying too hard you found yeah. this script in a little bag it's soaked in red wine it's got <laughs> half of john michael vincent's prescription spilt all over it you've got yes. no idea what's going on it sounds good on paper but unfortunately i would love to see I would love to see an alternate universe where someone else was cast as Stringfellow Hawk because I feel like, although Jean-Michael Vincent is as memorable part of Airwolf to our childhood memories as the helicopter or the synth music, mm-hmm. I actually feel it's him that unravels this film. But I can't imagine anyone else playing a cello by a lake and in the words of the of the of Gabrielle serenading an eagle you know and I can't even begin to imagine so that's where I'm at okay I'm getting the vibe from where you said like you said it's trash but you're getting frustrated so I think this is and I'm gonna agree with a little bit here I think this is on the lower end of too trashy for me because I feel like there are moments, there are some gold. There's gold, but like I said before, I'm frustrated by the edit mm. because it takes so long for the good guys and the bad guys to actually like meet, and then even then, it is so over the top and egregious. Uh, there are moments which are hilarious, and you're sitting there laughing at it. There's some bits which are awesome, but it's just it's getting to the point where I'm getting like I'm not feeling it. Not like I'm not feeling it in terms of. I'm bored at it. I'm not getting the genre. I'm not getting the vibe. I get the vibe. I know what they're trying to do, but they are trying too hard in places to be uh, met- uh, to have metaphor when there's not supposed to be metaphor, and uh, moments where I'm just like, why? <laughs> I I wonder if it's the sort of film that 
Belisario should have let his ego go. It, the script should have been done. It should have had some rewrites and passed around Hollywood and ended up out of his hands, because it's his baby, yeah. out of his hands, cast with a whole different cast. Um, some of the some of the 80s sort of spy and espionage ideas are actually quite clever. It's a little bit like that um, Clint Eastwood film. Is it Firefox, where they have a plane that's really deadly and he steals mm. it? There's elements of Blue Thunder in there as well. If that was given to a proper actor and it had been if it had been filmed two or three years later and, and done with a proper budget, we might have something here. That's I think that's probably some of the frustration from me. But because Belisario's ego is so wrapped up in wanting to make another TV hit, uh, mm. which is obviously he's famed for, he. Did didn't want to let this go and maybe tried too hard and that's why we got what we got i, I don't feel know. like I don't I, I, know. ed i need your opinion we need to balance well, for out me, like I'll, mine's quite simple my summary because i i was either going to go with uh too trashy or mm-hmm. tiny bit because i can't because when we put movies in trash they are the perfect balance and this movie yeah, is, is certainly not the perfect balance for me there's a bit too much of what <laughs> i don't want to see which is probably why it fits better in too trashy because the bits that we yeah. do get the trashy bits we do get i don't i don't want you know so yeah mm. uh, shall we kind of all be in agreement that this falls that this movie falls under too trashy around yeah, that I, area. I'm, I'm I'm in agreement with that. Yeah, I think okay. absolutely. Okay, it is too trashy on the trashometer. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> there we go. That is officially on the trashometer now as too trashy. So, Airwolf the movie, the 18 certificate. Too trashy. Right. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? This is the thing, because this is what I love about, especially having guests on to do this kind of thing. Uh, when we go through the meter thing and we discuss it, because some people say, oh, this movie's perfect. This is great. And then I tell them what the descriptions are on the trashometer. We almost mm-hmm. sit there going, well, actually, this isn't as good as we thought we were hyping it up to be. Or, we're, or, or this is even better than what we thought it was. And we get like a different opinion from when we start this discussion right to the end. Yeah, because it's a very interesting rating system we've got because it's a rating system purely for bad movies. So there isn't yeah. a rating you can say it's good. It's just a, how, yeah. a level of trashiness. <laughs> We're about to wrap things up, but before we do, obviously, this is our time to plug our stuff. So, George, obviously, we, we this is a good time to talk about to say where can we find you? What, uh, what, what, what any anything coming up? That kind of thing. I, uh, well, unofficial controller podcast. It's been going for a while now. We're rapidly closing in on episode one hundred. Um, it's a show that doesn't take itself too seriously, um, but at the same time, we like to deliver the latest news. We normally do a feature. Fan interaction is key to us. Every week, we have people's mm-hmm. comments interwoven into the show. Um, we also there's some humour in there that you got to listen to maybe a couple of episodes. I'm not trying to pass it off to be like you've got to get into the law or anything like that. But uh, you'll find us on every podcast platform you could possibly even conceive. Mm-hmm. Um, we do some little bits on YouTube, but not really. You'll find us on instagram you'll find us on twitter you'll find us on discord i often undersell the show but because uh, that's in keeping with the theme and the branding of what it is <laughs> it's very much a little podcast or an aldi podcast but at the same token we pour our heart into it you know and we write a script for all this nonsense as well and we've had you guest it on so mm-hmm. i think if anyone who's listened to this wants an easy step into it obviously you guys 
I don't know how, but my crazy imagination had you as vampiric, blood-sucking uh, lords of the night, <laughs> and that's how you got introed in. So it was episode 89 or something like that, where we had you on to help us uh, understand the v- video games that had transitioned to movies. Uh, yeah. I feel that was possibly one of our best shows. Uh, it was really ever. fun being a guest on oh, that it was one. Excellent. That, was, that was a lot of fun being a guest on that. Well, hopefully I've been... Uh, I probably ramble on far too much. I should probably say my lips shut, but I'm sure most of my stuff will end up on the edit floor, which is more than it's more than deserving of. I'm sure. No, 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 no. If, if this one, this one, this one will, this one might require some editing, but it won't really be as uh, that. I, I edit them, but most of the time, I keep most of them in now because the recording's actually quality. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'm honoured if it does. And like I say, uh, I, you, you, you were on, and you were such great guests, and I've absolutely loved coming on here. It's not often Thank I get you. to speak about some of the uh, niche cinema that I do. And and again, if you're listening to this, you're already a fan of Alienmatic Productions, but if you're not, their whole offering, ranging from Greg's games in-depth bits, the boys keep you company on Twitch on a bi-weekly or more basis. I was recently watching uh, Johan's Scream, his little head off, yeah. playing Until Dawn. Uh, in a, a in a very strange way, some of your choices were beyond imagination. <laughs> yeah, a man well, gets his hands stuck in a bear trap. He could open the bear trap quite easily, but Johan is the sort of guy that's going to lop his lop his finger clean. It's up. quicker. It's quicker. It, okay, that's fine. And and if you want to see that, that's what you got. You've got yeah. the chill out Wednesdays with like Theme Hospital or whatever it's called these yeah. days. Forgive me, Two Point Hospital. Yeah, uh, and, and you know I. I love your guys' content. It's always of the highest production value. It's it, it's very classy. Your understanding of the medium of the trash tapes and 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 Harvey's uh, deconstruction of uh, niche eighties classics on the Saturday morning rewind is is a joy. I think you guys mm. are are knowingly uh, underappreciated, and I, I think that uh, once people uh, just catch that wave, they will be absolutely. I know. It, most people I know who've like stumbled across your stuff, they end up just devouring your whole back catalogue because the <laughs> values, your passion, your your love for the fran- for the franchises that you represent, the, the three tiers of what you do with the animatic productions, animatic play, the Twitch, and the whole all that sort of stuff is is wonderful. And and and, and as people as well, your actual sort of characters and love and personas come across. And um, you guys are just as uh, a pillar of the content and as appealing as the stuff that you dissect or you play. So, yeah, I'm a big fan. So to be here and and actually on a Trash Tapes to me is an honour that's almost similar to getting knighted by royalty so yeah i uh, i i thank you very 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 much for for having me here and it, and if people have just stumbled onto this as their first episode please let this me be the invitation you need to go and just i'm gonna go out there go balls deep on enigmatic productions well uh, I, you, i'd you, say you, likewise to an official controller podcast i mean i started listening yeah. quite a few quite quite a couple of years. when did you start because I've been listening to it for a, for a long time now it seems uh, 2019 we do an episode a week sometimes it nearly snaps my spine in half to you know get mm. in character to do a show but somehow we always manage to pull it out of the bag but it's, yeah. yeah it's a very interesting podcast because I, I know you say about don't you don't need to get invested in the law but if you do get invested in the law it is amazing and that that's why I hope people really do uh do do that because it's like that, that 
is such a unique element that you add to the podcast that it makes it stand out. I Ed think. introduced me to the podcast that sense because it mostly was because like there are characters in this. Like I thought it was just like <laughs> gaming news podcast, oh. which is like no, no, no. There's character, there's law, there's backstory. It's like backstory. <laughs> what are you on about? So you have to listen to it. There's a whole, there's a whole town. There's a town, right? Okay, so I'm gonna have to check this out. So I'm gonna so I start listening to it, and then this is the thing I listened must have been about halfway through your thing. So it must have been about maybe by uh, maybe episode what. 40 or something 50 can't remember somewhere around that number and then i'm slowly as again i was completely out of the loop for like the first few episodes but then i got into it saying wait there's the way that wait these characters are recurring oh no they're coming back oh no what's happening now there's more things going on and i got so bizarrely invested by that point i've been listening every week and it's weird because it's just a gaming news podcast but it's got characters and my brain exploded it was amazing wonderful time i think that we've we've kind of toned that down but the story that we surfed into was now living in new york yeah uh, and and the new co-host i mean that looked planned but sadly it wasn't but it kind of worked perfectly in the end yeah uh, and now you know the theme is that we're owned by uh, a mexican drug lord that's using his uh using his zutamax media as a money laundering service <laughs> and has ended up buying our podcast and he now foots the bill for the show uh i mean i don't even know you know sometimes i question even myself but it, you know there's it all in the script i'm sure at some point in time someone's gonna pull me up and say that can't be possible though george because if you know lord ponsapree funded the show to this point someone's gonna pull me up and trip me up on the law i'm sure but i thought i'd got all the plot points tied up nice and neatly and uh mm. Some of it's got deeper references and meanings. And, and as Harvey said, I think in the pre-record to the show that we did, uh, it's actually very dark. And uh, Yeah, it is. It's a PG podcast with absolutely no swearing. And taken at, taken at face value, uh, it's, just a t- it's just a video games news show. But underneath that is one of the darkest subtexts. Uh, For example, what happened to your previous co-host? Is the- <laughs> well, in a in a... In a Jeffrey Epstein style way, he was arrested oh God. live on air. Tom's not happy about this sort of skew oh. on the character I gave, and uh, he's now he now communicates every now and then from his jail cell. But yeah, he was arrested live on air, uh, which he wasn't on air for. We faked all that, but it was uh, yeah, it was uh, it was very dark. But yeah, he's he, we found a cellar of his that had all sorts of weird torture equipment in where we did the Halloween episode from, which yeah. was. You know, it was all just—it's all just a bit of fun, isn't it? But uh, yeah, I certainly hope it makes it stand out from the from the crowd a little it bit. And sometimes does. the you know the laws a bit. Oh God, what we're we gonna do? But people love the law, so we always try and weave a little bit in every week, yeah. just even if it's a line. I, I've I've just got one note to add, like because uh, I've got a perfect soundbite on the soundboard. So I just Gary Oldman can help me with this because I've got a Gary Oldman clip. So who should listen to Unofficial Controller podcast? There we go. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank see this, you very see, this much. is why this is why Ed's my DJ. He's got all he's got all the clips up and ready. So yeah. Uh, we'll wrap things up for today. So thank you oh so very much, George. You've been a pleasure. So thank you very much for joining me. Uh, I will give a little bit of a tease because the next episode is going to be officially uh, our anniversary episode. Which uh, we're running a little late, but we're having an anniversary episode. Could be now what? How many years we've been, been attempting this? About two, three? It's around that. This, is, <laughs> this would be now. the third year anniversary, wouldn't it? 
And so, usually when those are reserved for the big boys, this is where we get the one that everyone knows and everyone talks about and everyone covers. So we've got one right in the pipework ready for then. I'm not going to tease it for you. All I'm going to say, it involves McDonald's. <laughs> a lot of McDonald's. <laughs> and, so, and so with that, we're going to wrap it up there, right there and then. So until next time, keep an eye on your trash. There might be some treasure in there. See you all next time. See you guys. See you guys. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it around with movie lovers you know, maybe add a star rating or write a good review. All of this helps with the algorithm and provides us with more opportunities to reach the ears to a whole new bunch of bad film fanatics. Want to find out more about us? Then head over to our socials where we provide sneak peeks and up-to-date news on everything nostalgic and trashy. You can find our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages in the description. So please, follow us. See you next time, cinephiles. Cinephiles.